In the 16th century, a man with a gold hooped earring and a little goatee picked up a quill and wrote some of the finest sonnets the world has ever seen. Five hundred, six hundred, five hundred years later, a man with nothing better to do sits down with a microphone and tries to work out what the hell that bloke was going on about. Welcome to the final couplet. final couplet with me, Theo Cowan. You might notice during this episode that I am a bit under the weather. I have a cold and a cough. So if my voice sounds deeper and sexier than usual, then I'm sorry. I apologise for that. But being ill this week got me thinking about how lucky we are to not live back in Shakespeare's time, really. Because if I was sort of having a cough back in his time, I'd be thinking, oh no, it's the plague. It's Black Death. It's, you know, I'm going to die. I'm going to I'm gonna die soon. You'd just be terrified all the time, wouldn't you? Just round the corner, there's there's death. There's all sorts of illnesses that you can't treat. So really, you know, I try and take comfort in thinking that hopefully uh, I'm not going to die from this cough. That's me tapping on some wood after I said that, because it would be a shame, wouldn't it, to then die of this cough. Anyway, stop feeling sorry for me. It's fine. I'll get through it. Let's get on with the episode, shall we? This week we're looking at sonnet 39, of course, because that is what comes after 38, and 38, of course, came after 37, and that's how numbers uh, work when they're put in order. And sonnet 38 was Shakespeare saying that the recipient of his poem was his muse and, and how he was such an inspiration for all of his poetry. And actually, the the praise that he would receive for his poetry should actually be in part to the recipient of the poem because they are the inspiration, so they should get some of the credit, which is nice of him. Let's dive into Sonnet 39 to see if we continue along the same path or we indeed divert. Sonnet 39 Oh, how thy worth with manners may I sing! When thou art all the better part of me. What can mine own praise to mine own self bring? And what is't but mine own when I praise thee? Even for this, let us divided live, And our dear love lose name of single one, That by this separation I may give That due to thee which thou deservest alone. O oh, absence, what a torment wouldst thou prove! Were it not thy sour leisure gave sweet leave to entertain the time and thoughts of love, which time and thoughts so sweetly dost deceive, and that thou teachest how to make one twain by praising him here who doth hence remain. And that is Sonnet 39. 
And it is a, a bit of a different path taken to Sonnet 38, isn't it? Because in this, he's saying we actually shouldn't be together. We can be together, but we should live apart, really. We should be separated because the problem is that I'm giving you all this praise in my poetry. And actually, because you're so much a part of me, I'm basically praising myself, which is a little bit weird. So he's saying, let's live apart because then we can still be in love and everything, but we'll also be our own, you know, individual selves rather than just one person, which isn't quite as nice. I think that's the main gist of this one. And it sounds a little bit like a breakup text or something like that, doesn't it? Because he's saying... Look, I still love you, but let's not live together, all right? Let's not be around each other much. I love you so much, I actually don't want to be around you much because we're so similar that it's it's not really working out. It's a sort of, it's not you, it's me, breakup text message, isn't it? Let's dive into this line by line and work out what the hell Shakespeare was going on about in Sonnet 39. O how thy worth with manners may I sing, when thou art all the better part of me. Now here he's saying, how can I go on singing your praises in my poetry and everything, when you're the better part of me? It's a bit weird, isn't it? Because actually it's like I'm praising myself, if you know what I mean. And you know what? I don't really know what you mean, Shakespeare. It's not. I think you're finding excuses not to write poetry about this person, if I'm being quite honest. But, you know, each to their own. Then he continues with, What can mine own praise to mine own self bring? And what is't but mine own when I praise thee? So here he's ramming home the point, isn't he? He's saying, you know, what what good does it do for me to praise myself? And am I doing anything other than praising myself when I praise you? And I would argue, William Shakespeare, that actually you can keep them separate. You writing poetry about someone else doesn't automatically mean that you're praising yourself. Unless, in a strange turn of events, all of these poems that Shakespeare has been writing have actually been to himself. That's a twist, isn't it? I might have uncovered something quite incredible there. And you heard it here first on the Final Couplet podcast. William Shakespeare wrote all of the sonnets about himself cocky bastard. Then he continues with, even for this, let us divided live, and our dear love lose name of single one. Which means, because of what I've just said, that I'm basically praising myself, let's live apart. I think that's for the best. And then we can still love each other, but we won't lose our individuality, which would be good, wouldn't it? That by this separation I may give that due to thee which thou deservest alone. So that then when we're separated, I can give you all the praise that you deserve just for yourself, not for both of us. And you'll like that a lot more than than me praising myself as well. I'd love to know what the recipient of the poem thought about this one, because, because had they been thinking, oh, all of these poems before have just been about you and me, and I want the poetry to just be about me, please. I highly doubt that. When you receive a bit of poetry about yourself, I mean, I can't 
speak for myself because I've never received a poem that is directed for me in a love sense. But if I were to receive it, I wouldn't automatically think, oh, they've just written this poem about themselves and me. Would you? I mean, who in their right mind would think that? That was just a little nudge, by the way, if anyone wants to send me a love sonnet. I'm very much open to receiving one. Now he continues with, O absence, what a torment wouldst thou prove, were it not thy sour leisure gave sweet leave to entertain the time with thoughts of love, which time and thoughts so sweetly dost deceive. So he's saying, O absence, you would be really annoying, you would be an absolute nightmare if it wasn't for the fact that you actually give me time to fill the hours with with thoughts of love for the recipient of the poem. And that makes the time pass really sweetly, really nicely, actually. So thanks for that absence. You've actually made me happier. Again, this seems like a weird breakup message going like, I think we should spend some time apart because that will bring us back together and make us love each other more. I mean, maybe it's not a breakup thing. Maybe it is sort of a, maybe a relationship therapist would suggest this, you know, spend a little bit of time apart and because, well, famously, absence makes the heart grow fonder, doesn't it? Who came up with that? Was that Shakespeare? I don't know. So maybe it's not a breakup. Maybe it's Shakespeare going, let's try this out. And it's quite new wave of him at the time. Probably no one else was suggesting this. And maybe he could have gone into relationship therapy if he'd wanted to after this. Now we're on to the final couplet. And that thou teachest how to make one twain by praising him here who doth hence remain. Now here I think he's still talking about absence. And he's saying, thank you very much because you've taught me how to divide myself and my love in, in two so that I can praise my love while he is somewhere else, while he is remaining elsewhere and not on top of me all the time. So actually on reading it back, I've changed my mind. At first I thought it was Shakespeare just, you know, wanting a bit of free time to himself. But actually it seems like he's dishing out some good relationship advice and going, let's be apart for a little bit and then I can praise just you and you alone. I think the only weird thing about it is the whole thing about him praising himself as well as his lover. I, I don't really get that. I get the idea of, of being apart and, and, and the whole absence makes the heart grow stronger thing. But the praising himself and praising his lover, not for me. I think you've got a good idea, Shakespeare, but you presented it in a slightly strange way. Which, to be fair, is often your downfall in your sonnets, I would say, if you're listening to this. Right, I'd say it's about time to put this sonnet to our story. And if you're here for the first time, what I like to do is improvise a story around the sonnets. And it does sort of continue each week, but you can probably drop in and get the gist of it. It's not a highly intellectual story. It's all a bit of a laugh. So at the moment, Shakespeare's in jail because he pushed a waiter and the waiter hit his head and died. So Shakespeare's been popped in jail 
and his original love, John Donne, has rejected his sonnets from prison. And Shakespeare was like, oh, no, what am I going to do? This is a nightmare. I'm going to be in jail for the rest of my life. But then along comes a familiar face, Shakespeare's ex-wife. And she says, listen, you know, we've been for a lot. It hasn't been easy for me. But if you write me a sonnet like you used to, paint me like one of your French girls, type vibe, little quote from the Titanic there, then I think we could get back together and I'll help break you out of prison. What do you think of that? So Shakespeare obviously wrote Sonnet 38 and presented it to her. And that is where we left off in the last part of our story. Let's see how it continues. Shakespeare's ex-wife finished reading Sonnet 38. She put down the sonnet. A little tear crept into her eye and she said, Oh, Shakespeare, I've missed you. And Shakespeare also in tears because his own sonnet had moved him so much, said, I've missed you too, my darling. Now, how are you going to get me out of here? And Shakespeare's wife said, oh, yeah, I actually don't know. I don't really have a plan for that. And Shakespeare said, well, I thought you said you'd be able to get me out if if I said I loved you and everything and, and I wrote you a sonnet. And she said, yeah, but I just was just trying to get you to write a sonnet for me, to be honest. I, I didn't really think further than that. And Shakespeare said, well, brilliant. I might as well not have written you that sonnet. And Shakespeare's ex-wife said, oh, hold on a second. So did you not mean what you said in the sonnet? And Shakespeare said, no, oh, no, I did. I did. I just, I also thought that I'm, I'd be out of jail. Sorry, I'm a bit cranky. I haven't had much sleep. I've only got a bit of straw to sleep on here, you see. And at that moment, Pacuccio, Shakespeare's cat, appeared at the cell window. He rubbed himself on Shakespeare's hand as if to say, I've got an idea. And Shakespeare said, yeah, I know you want a pat, but I need to try and get out of here. And Pacuccio started frantically purring to try and show Shakespeare that he had an idea. Eventually, Shakespeare said, oh, sorry, you've got an idea, do you? And Pacuccio nodded his head wearily. Shakespeare said, well, what is it? And Pacuccio then proceeded to mime out in quite some detail the plan that he had. The mime entailed Shakespeare distracting the prison guard through any means possible, while Pacuccio went behind the guard and grabbed the keys from off his belt. It was a hell of a mime, and by the end of it, Shakespeare and Shakespeare's ex-wife were both cheering and whooping. It was honestly one of the best performances they've ever seen. And that's saying something, because Shakespeare had written a few good plays by that point. So they put the plan into motion. Shakespeare shouted, Oh God! Oh God! And the guard came down and went, What is it, Shakespeare? And Shakespeare said, I've written you a play. And the guard said, I don't really watch theatre. And Shakespeare said, well, you're going to like this one. It's a comedy. And the guard said, but is it a comedy or is it like one of your other comedies aren't really that funny? And Shakespeare said, excuse me, my comedies are very funny. Thank you very much. And Shakespeare started performing one of the mechanical scenes in his hit comedy, Midsummer Night's Dream. Of course, Shakespeare was playing all of the characters and it was quite good, actually. 
The guard was relatively engrossed, engrossed enough for Percutio to sneak up behind him and grab the keys from off his belt. An hour went by and Shakespeare was still performing the play to the guard. I think he got quite wrapped up in it and forgot about the time. Eventually, Percutio purred outside the jail cell window to prompt him to stop. And after another hour of performing, Shakespeare finally took his bow. The guard said, yeah, it was all right, and left. Percutio passed the keys to Shakespeare through the jail window and Shakespeare let himself out, snuck up the stairs, past the guard and out into the open where Shakespeare's ex-wife was waiting for him in a carriage. They trundled along all the way back to Shakespeare's house and in to the bedroom where they made love for five to six minutes. And Shakespeare got up and said, Wow, that was good, thank you. Um, I'm just going to go to the toilet. And in the toilet, Shakespeare thought, Oh, bloody hell, I'm not really into this. I only wrote her that sonnet to try and get out of prison and now I'm stuck with her again. I don't really even think that I like women. And suddenly he had an idea. He would write another sonnet, a sonnet so genius it would both praise his ex-wife and suggest that they should live apart. He quickly went up to his writing desk and shouted down to his ex-wife, I won't be a minute, just writing down an idea. He got out his quill and ink and wrote Sonnet 39 on a bit of parchment. It was one of his more complex sonnets, so it took him about 10 to 15 minutes to write. Eventually, he returned to his ex-wife and said, My darling, I've written you another sonnet, and this one is rather important. And she said, Oh, I didn't really... You don't need to write me anymore, by the way. That was just a one-off. I liked it. I liked the last one, but that's fine. You don't need to write me anymore. And he said, No, this one's important because it's got a very special message that you need to hear. And she sighed and said, Oh, fine. Get on with it then. And Shakespeare retrieved Sonnet 39 from his back pocket and read. Sonnet 39 How can I sing your praises without seeming vain, given you are the better half of me? It's not a good vibe to praise myself. And by praising you, aren't I pretty much praising myself? Because of this, let's not live together. Though we love each other loads, we need to lose our common identity. By living apart, I can give you all the praise you deserve. Oh, absence, you would really suck if it weren't for the fact that you allow me to fill the lonely hours with thoughts of love, which makes the time pass sweetly, and that you teach me how to divide my love and me in two, because I can praise him whilst he is elsewhere. Wow, quite the plan Shakespeare has come up with there. And I, for one, want to know how that is received by his ex-wife. I mean, for starters, he referred to her as a man at the end of that sonnet, which might not go down well. Shakespeare must have forgotten that he was actually writing a sonnet for a woman for once. Easy mistake to make. Anyway, until next week. Bye!